Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you're like, that guy is not usually up here for this part. You're totally right. Um, my name is John Michael, if we haven't met yet. I am the youth pastor here at Emmanuel. Uh, so as to say, you, I think you guys are really cool, but I'd rather be with some of our young person friends in here. Um, also, I know we have a few kiddos in here. If you're not usually in service for this part, for big church, as I like to call it, would you give me a little wave? Give me a little wave? Hey, you guys. Um, I'm glad you're with us today. I know this might be a little out of, out of ordinary, but you're just as much a part of the church as I am or as any of your parents or the adults in here are. So I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. I think you have something to give us today. Um, I get the privilege of talking to you this Christmas, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Tide. Um, I, yeah, just if we have a very fam- familiar text uh, today, and I know that it can be hard when we're really used to a text, much like this one. Um, it could be hard to hear it clearly, so we're just going to ask and invite the Spirit to kind of enlighten us uh, to what he might be saying through the text today. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men, or magi from the east, came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child that has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. Then they saw that the star had stopped, and they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. I am really thankful for this scripture today. Um, I told you all that about how familiar texts can, can be because I felt that way this week as I was reading it. I was uh, pretty convinced. I was like, I, I know this. I kind of like have it down, I think. And I was really surprised. I think the Lord surprised me a lot this week in this scripture because I, I realized that I, it was like, it's like my eyes had glazed over every time I think I've read it. I think we're used to seeing the three kings on the nativity set and we like pre- feel pretty close to them, like we know who they are. But in reality, I think, I, I think that this scripture showed me so much in a way that was really surprising. So I hope you're excited to, to learn. Um, here's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talk, doing a bit of a character study. You'll have to forgive me. I'm an English major. Um, and so I, I'm going to talk about Herod, um, this, our villain today. 
and then the Magi, these really mysterious figures. And then I also would like to represent how these characters usually show up in the Bible, and then maybe what it means for us in the season of, of Epiphany. So a quick word about Epiphany. If you're like me a couple years ago, you did not know how to spell Epiphany. And, um, and you should know that Epiphany is part of our church calendar. And if you're also like me, I was not very familiar with the church calendar growing up. And um, it's a really cool season. So if you're curious about the season, uh, the church calendar, it's over there in the lobby. It was, in, um, like, I think, on your left on the way in. And the church calendar is the way of the church um, marking time, immersing ourselves in the story of Jesus. Um, and so we just celebrated Advent, which is the sort of like Christian New Year. And if Advent is the season of preparing for Jesus to come, and then Christmas tide, which we're now in, is about receiving him as he comes, then Epiphany is about God making manifest who he is. It's about us realizing who Jesus is. And during the season of Epiphany, we get to learn and think about all the ways that God has made a hidden thing, like a, or a secret thing, revealed to all. And um, this story, the story of the Magi, is just like the perfect example. So in the Western church, we focus on that. But there are plenty of other like epiphany moments in scripture. I think of like Jesus' baptism, where uh, he's revealed to be the son of God for everybody. And that's what our friends in the Eastern church usually celebrate the, um, during the season of epiphany. Um, or, any, or like maybe the wedding at Cana, whenever Jesus like makes his power displayed for the very first time in his ministry, that sort of thing. But it can also be, I think, about our own lives. Like, can you remember a time in your own life when something hidden or ways that God felt secret to you became manifest to you? Um, what was that like? What did you think about him? How did you respond to him? That sort of thing, um, I think, is a good thing to meditate on in the season of, of Epiphany. Epiphany is also a feast day, so it'll be occurring this Friday on January 6th. If you're a youth in here, we're going to have a party at my house. It'll be super fun. Um, and traditionally associated with Epiphany are house blessings. So you might have noticed in the scripture that Mary and Joseph welcome, welcome in the Magi, and so they show hospitality to them. So Epiphany is also a time where we think about hospitality, about homes, um, what it's like to like, make food for people, have your friends over, that sort of thing. And so usually uh, it's traditional that you would do a house blessing, especially if you're in a new house. That's something that um, a priest can do. So maybe you can call Amy and have her over to your house and do a house blessing. If you grew up in like an Hispanic culture or like or from New Orleans or something like that, you might be familiar with king cake, um, which is really delicious, and you can totally eat that. Um, you have full permission for me to do that. Um, also, um, you can have your own feast day. That would be really fun if you just wanted to have pizza at your house or something like that. It would be really great. So now on to the rest of everything. So first, I'm going to talk about Herod. He's our villain. So Herod, a little backstory on him. He's our bad guy, right? But uh, he was sort of the king of the Jews in this situation, which makes you realize like, how bold the Magi are and saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Have you heard of him? <laughs> and uh, he was only sort of king of the Jews. He was an appointed king by Israel's Roman oppressors at the time. Up until that point, he had suffered pretty constant threats to his own power, including by the very famous Antony and Cleopatra, I discovered. Um, and so he was known in his final years, which is like the, where the segment of the story is occurring, to be very, very, like, very paranoid. Um, he was known to kill close associates, even family members, in order to retain his own power. Many scholars think he was maybe just like mentally ill, like he was maybe literally sick with power. And as you, if you know the rest of the story, you know that uh, he was so sick and that he was 
um, totally willing to commit mass genocide by killing all the young boys in Bethlehem upon hearing that maybe someone would usurp his position. We also know that, Jew that Herod was not Jewish himself. Um, he was not ethnically Jewish. And you can kind of tell because he has to call all the scribes to like, tell him what the scriptures say so he doesn't know himself or anything. And so um, the announcement of Jesus' birth is also deeply troubling to him. And the, like, not only just to him, but also like, the, like, the whole political structure. It says that all of um, Jerusalem is afraid with him. And so now this thing he's paranoid about, this, this like, deep-seated fear, could come true. It's like very real, real fear of his. And so, in order to do that, he, um, to protect himself, save his own skin, he was willing to accomplish great violence. He is supposed to be leading the people of Israel, folks. Those who have known God's presence from the, its very beginning, you know. And he is holding the seat that King David, his son Solomon, the house of, house of David, has held for many, many years, for centuries. And yet... As someone who is so proximate to these people, to this tradition, to God's people, he is unable to receive God in Jesus, which is a bit of a, a warning to me and to us. That just because we are proximate to the things of God does not mean we're receiving him. And that's uh, very sobering to think through. One other thing is that he's exactly like someone else in scripture from the book of Exodus. Does anyone know? Any kiddos? Who's the bad guy in Exodus? You know? Is it Pharaoh? I heard Pharaoh. Yeah. Yes, yes. So Matthew, in this story, is putting his finger on Herod and saying that he's just like another guy, the, the, um, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, who also was willing to commit mass genocide in order to protect his power. He himself was also terribly afraid that Israel might um, usurp him, that uh, whenever Israel had gotten too big, uh, he was willing to throw babies into the Nile. And so like, um, like Moses before him, Jesus enters the world in a time of deep uh, corruption and evil with someone else who is sick with power. So that makes me think like if Herod is this kind of guy that is willing to go to such lengths um, and we see that uh, people in power are not using their power well, they're using their power for their own selfish gain to save their own skin, willing to harm other people in order to keep it, what kind of king would this next person be? There's this other king in Judea. What's he like? Is he like Herod? Does he do that sort of thing? Is he like Pharaoh? I have a slide. Do you mind putting it up? Cool. Uh, as I was thinking about kings, um, some of you guys know I have a British roommate. Um, his name's Christopher. He's really great. Um, uh, Christopher's from England. And so whenever Queen Elizabeth died, we were talking about what that was like for him. And he said, so bizarre. Like, it's like this old standby for my entire life is now gone. And so I've been thinking about, like, um, as like a fan of the show The Crown, any fans in here? Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I've been thinking about, like, crowns, but also, like, like kingship or, like, royal authority. And so this is the crown that uh, Queen Elizabeth wore at her, at her coronation. This is St. Edward's crown. I'm pretty sure Charles will also wear it. Does anyone? I think so. Uh, his own, uh, uh, Charles will be coronated in May, on May 6th, and he'll probably wear this crown, and it'll be in Westminster Abbey in this beautiful, ornate uh, church. And I was thinking about how, like, beautiful, like, how, like, gaudy almost the riches are of England and I was thinking about how Jesus did not get this sort of thing, even though he's like a far better king than Charles will ever be. 
<laughs> or, or the way that Elizabeth will be. Jesus did not get this sort of thing. He did not get nearly the amount of, of pleasure or success that, that Herod did, in the, at least in the traditional sense. See, Jesus did not hold tightly in his own life to the privileges as the king of Judea or as the son of God, even. Rather than that, um, rather than being like lifted up on a throne, much like Elizabeth was, being given crown adorned with jewels and gold like that, his, his throne was a cross. That was Jesus' coronation. And his crown was a thorny branch dropped around his head. And this is the king that we follow, that we submit to as Jesus' people. Something to think about as we think about the ways that God is manifesting himself to us in Epiphany. You can take that slide down. The next uh, character study that we have is the Magi, or the, the wise men. You guys might know them as kings, um, but really I think it's, it's better to call them something like priests. Um, they are court astrologers from a distant land, probably like current day Iran, and they were really adept at interpreting visions and dreams and reading the stars, and they're very well respected. Notice how like Herod uh, does not disbelieve them when they say, we see the king of Judea is born. So he believes them immediately. So they're like the experts in their field. Um, they are religious professionals of a different faith in a different land. And what's really, really fascinating to me is that you guys may know if you're familiar with Leviticus um, and found a way to like, get through the whole book. Uh, but you might notice that, <laughs> that things like divinations, going to see um, like seers or soothsayers or um, interpreting stars are strictly forbidden for the people of Israel. Uh, the people of God were supposed to look to God only for what their future would hold. And yet, these men very mysteriously find their way into our narrative today. So for many in the ancient world, stars were really closely associated with kings. So people like Julius Caesar or Nebuchadnezzar, they had their own stars. And so um, what like, an original reader would, would hear is like, the, there's a star rising, and so there's probably a king associated with it. And that has deep political connotations for us, that Jesus is like a real king, like the real deal, not a fake one. He has his own star and everything. Um, but what's also really interesting to me is that even though they say that this is the king of Judea, like this other group of people, they see it in themselves that it's important that they go and pay homage to this king. Like he's their king somehow. And you might wonder, like, John Michael, I've never heard you, like, offer me the advice of going to see, like, reading my horoscope or seeing an astrology expert or something like that. So how did this happen? And to which I say I have no clue. It's really mysterious. I really don't get it. I don't know why, how they figured out, like, through reading the stars, that this was, like, a king that they should follow and, tra like, traverse a great wilderness to see. I have no clue. Um, it's really, really weird, to be honest. Really surprising. But here's what I, what I keep thinking about as I, as I turn that over in my mind, is that what I see by this inclusion of something that like Israel isn't supposed to do, like reading the stars and stuff, is that God really wants to be found. You know, That God is almost better at revealing himself than we are at revealing him. You know? Like no one had to go tell them, which is really fascinating to me. Take, kind of takes a load off my shoulders at being like the bearer of God's presence all the time, you know? That maybe God is going out and doing his own work there. And that my job is just to partner with him in that. I've just been thinking about that. And so when they get to Jesus, what's also really cool is that they're overjoyed. 
overwhelmed with joy. They know that this king is really good news. Yeah. That this king um, is kind of this fulfillment of what Psalm 67 reads. It says, let the nation be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So we see this like fulfillment of what's always been promised. The inclusion of these men, these wise men, the Magi, are continuations of important themes in scripture. So something like the righteous Gentile or the righteous pagan. So think of like people like Melchizedek, if you're like a Bible nerd, like Queen of Sheba, Rahab, Ruth, Naaman the Syrian. These people in the Old Testament are people that aren't in the people of God. They're not Israelites. And yet they show remarkable godliness. And they get close to God. They have like a real encounter with God. And they somehow sometimes know better than the Israelites do about who God is, how you're supposed to respond to him, that sort of thing. We see that in these people that they show us that God is not always interested in, like only interested in restoring Israel to himself. He's interested in restoring the whole of creation. We see that in Revelation, there's this great multitude before God. They're all worshiping him from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That is what God has been after from the very beginning, since before Abraham in Genesis was taken to his own stars as he looked up. And he sees that um, God would make his family from which would come a nation a blessing to all the nations. See, it wasn't just for Israel that God came. It was for all of us, y'all. And that's what Epiphany is for. It would be from the nation of Israel and the line of David that the blessing of God would be made known not just to the Jews, but to everybody. And Jesus would be a king not only for those in Judea, but for the world. And the Magi knew this very mysteriously. End of the character study. So we have this like foil, uh, this sort of contrast between the Magi, the wise men, and Herod. Two different ways of responding to God's revelation, God being made manifest. Being, so we can see that Jesus can be really disruptive. And we, he can be really good news. And it's really up to us. It's kind of like Matthew is leaving it in our hands. What do you, what do you, how will you respond to the manifestation of God in the world and the person of Jesus? So here's my takeaways. First on Herod, if, if Jesus has ever felt really disruptive to you, if he has uh, kind of wrecked up your status quo, then he has been doing that from the very beginning. So as you meet this week with your friends or your family or your neighborhood group, think about how Jesus or God's handiwork in your own life has kind of upended your expectations, has really challenged your status quo. As a person who has a great privilege in the world, I would do wise to learn from Herod in this moment. Maybe in order for me to, dis like, to receive the good news, I need to be interrupted pretty often for my own life of um, major convenience here. Here's the, the second thing I was thinking about. I have another slide. Um, Joan Chittister wrote a book um, called The Liturgical Year, which is an amazing book if you want to learn more about the church calendar. And she says this, which is this just like humdinger of a quote about Jesus. She says, this is not a Christian child only. This child belongs to the world. So just in the same way that God was not only interested in, in Jews and Israelites, God is not only interested in us. He is after are flourishing as his church, as the bride that he loves, but he's not just interested in us, he's interested in the flourishing of our neighbors. So as I think about God's own love for me, 
Uh, how is that being reflected to the other people around me? How is my relationship with God, my life with Jesus, how is it good news to the other people around me? Is it only for me? Or is it flowing out of me like a river? Flowing rivers uh, are good things because once a river stops, it becomes dead water, right? It becomes a swamp. Rather, we want the love of God like a river to be continuously flowing in and then flowing out. That's the only way rivers work, y'all. And so in the same way, uh, we need to be thinking about this epiphany as God is being revealed to us this season. How are we revealing him? And I think that's the only way we get God's blessing, especially the older we get, I think. So as you talk about this text this week, I'd love for you guys with your like, neighborhood group and stuff to think about the ways that you've seen God moving in the hearts of those who don't know him very well at all. Like, have you heard a non-believer or someone who seemed, you would imagine would be the furthest from God say the most like, profoundly God, like, God-like thing in your life? Where do you see him moving? What's he doing in the life? If you don't, if you are, if you realize that you're pretty numb to that sort of thing, where you can't really see him moving, uh, that's something you can approach to him in prayer, like really honestly. Hey, Lord, I can't see you very well. I feel really blind. Would you show me what you're up to? Here's the last thing, and then we'll, we can close and go get lunch. God, he wants to be found by you, friends. He really wants to be found. I have it in my mind very frequently, this lie that God is hiding from me. Like he's not really interested in getting to know me very much. It's up to me to like traverse great seas and, and fields and deserts in order to get to him. But really God wants to be found. I see that in the story of his star in the sky. He speaks these magi's native language so that he could see, so that they could see and look at God's face in the person of Jesus. In his coming, he shows the very essence of God to us and that he crossed heaven and earth to get to you and me. And that not only that, God became us so that the whole of humanity, like we read in our colic this morning, could be redeemed so it could be restored to God's presence. So for many of us, that, like the Christmas season in particular, is something that we're like looking forward to all year like the like receiving Jesus part of the church calendar. Um, it's like, wow, we're like super happy about it. We love Christmas, red and green all the way. Um, and if that's you, uh, I want to ask the Lord to preserve that joy. Like we pray in Compline every night as Anglicans, shield the joyous Lord. So if you feel really happy about Christmas, I love that we celebrate that. That's awesome. Give me more of that. However, I'd be remiss if that was not true for others of you. Um, perhaps you have come feeling more battered and weary than ever, that Christmas for you, the holidays, I really take it out of you. And so you, by some miracle, have come into church, and to you I say welcome. Um, and so if you really feel like, like a God that is really eager to reveal himself to you, to like, get close to you, is a pipe dream something that only a fool would believe? Um, and you feel maybe more cynical than joyous at the moment. The church is for you too. And if you would like, um, we can pray for you. You can feel free to come up. We can lay hands on you and ask God to come to restore what's been broken. So an epiphany as a season is a good time for opening up ourselves to God. And I think I need to do that kind of thing like every day. And so if you are like me and maybe the more cynical type, 
then maybe um, we can learn something fresh from God during this season. Maybe there'd be like fresh manna for us in this season. Perhaps God has something for you, like you specifically. That's all I have. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then Amy's going to come up and lead us in our communion service. Lord God, we thank you for Christ Jesus. We remember today that you didn't keep yourself a secret. You You revealed yourself fully to us through Jesus' coming. So the next couple of weeks in the season of Epiphany, would you make things that are hidden manifest to us? Would you enlighten us? Show us your way, Jesus. Give us your wisdom. Father, through the movement of your Holy Spirit, shine on us the light that has entered the world, the light of Christ Jesus. Amen.